Today's reading is taken from James chapter 5, verses 13 to 20. James chapter 5, verses 13 to 20. The prayer of faith. Is any of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you very much for that. Uh, as I was reading uh, or using the Matthias Media Bible Study series on James a number of times, and uh, in uh, chapter 5, when they dealt with this study, they asked these questions. Let me uh, begin the sermon with, by what they have to say. It says, What do you do when you're sick? Do you go to the doctor thinking nothing more of it? Or do you go to the doctor thanking God that he provides the medical system? Or do you go to the healer who will pray for you? Or maybe do you ask the elders to anoint you with oil? It said James 5 has been a thorny chapter on the issue of healing. Different churches have taken different attitudes to it, emphasizing different parts of what is written. If you've never had the elders pray over you, why not? Doesn't James tell you to? If you have and you did not get better, why not? What's the problem with you, the elders, the oil, or with God's faithfulness? So the tricky passage such as James 5, 13 to 20 requires a little bit more work to tease out the meaning. So let us take the time, he says, to study the Bible text carefully. He says, because James is not disjointed, but a coherent letter with connecting themes... We must read any part of it in the context of the whole letter. So I want you to think through what we've been hearing over the last six or seven weeks. It says here in chapter 5, we have a passage very frequently taken out of context and read as if it was simply a short list of instructions on its own. It is especially easy to take it out of context if you believe James is just giving you snippets of advice which stand alone. He said, however, we've seen that James is not like that. The whole letter holds together. It is based on the key idea of 1, 21 to 22, that we should accept the word of God humbly and so do what it says, not judging or quarreling between ourselves. We have seen that the prayers are ineffective when we have worldly hearts. That's chapter 4, verse 3. And we are in the habit of misusing our tongues, cursing instead of praising. So with that background, let's think through what this passage is on about. 
But the main theme is about prayer. The prayer of the individual when they, they face different circumstances. The prayer of the elders. The prayers of friends and companions of one another, verse 16. And finally, the prayer of the righteous prophet Elijah. The first thing is nice and easy is pray at all times, verse 13. If any of you is in trouble, he or she should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. I love the, the principle, the biblical principle, that Paul shares that in Ephesians 6, 18, 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing. All of our lives as Christians ought to be um, manifested in prayer. Something happens, you pray. Someone gets sick, you pray. You're happy, uh, you've been rewarded with something, you give thanks to God, right? The Christian life is always focused on God and who He is and what He's doing in your life. Uh, if you're not talking to God, if you're not praying, you're not thanking, you're not confessing, then you really don't have a proper relationship with God. Because we walk with God daily, filled with the Holy Spirit, with the Word of God deep in our lives, that at every moment we say, God, where were you in this? God, can you help me in this? You see, we're praying, we're, we're thinking about God all the time. It says praying when you're suffering is the first area. The Greek word kakopathia means you know, bad afflictions and bad things happening to you, all types of afflictions and trials. And uh, Paul uses the word to express or to, to describe his imprisonment and, uh, in 2 Timothy 2. And um, difficult times. When you are going through difficult times, pray. He says, if you are suffering, pray. Because, friends, you need to pray because at times when you are suffering, and some of you are, severe ways, or some of you maybe have suffered over the last two years, you may be tempted to... Uh, Call the goodness of God into question. You may begin to doubt God's sovereignty and God's providence, that God is at working in all things for the good of His people, for the glory of His name. When you are suffering, sometimes you don't see clearly. The Word of God doesn't seem to make sense. So when you're suffering, God's Word says, don't just get angry, don't withdraw don't sit there depressed at home, but rather pray, he says. Take the initiative and pray. Let it keep you positive and active in your life. For example, in James, you see, uh, if they are the poor oppressed by the rich, as in chapter 5, verse 1 to 6, if they are discriminated against, as in chapter 2, 1 to 7 of James, pray. If you're the poor one being abused by others, where do you go? You go to God, right? If you face a bushfire and you lose your home, as many people have done in Australia in the past, what do you do? Pray. If you face a hard time at work because of the gospel, I talked to a friend yesterday, faces hard time at work as he works uh, for his company, I won't mention where or what. He said, Christians are not highly regarded. We're often suffering, abuse, mocking, possibly owning Jesus as Lord and Saviour. Pray. If you're unemployed and struggling financially, pray. If you've had a car accident and are shaken by the experience, pray. If you've had a relationship breakdown recently, pray. You see, kakopathia, bad things happen to you. That's what he's talking about, suffering. You pray. If you've suffered the loneliness or fear during lockdown this year, pray. But further, pray when you're happy as well. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. 
I love that. And the Greek word he uses here talks about a deep-rooted happiness, a contentment of the heart, whether in good times or bad. You're happy? You're content in God? Sing songs of praise. Now, it is hard to hear you sing through the masks. And um, I'm trying to listen to myself sing through the mask. I can't even hear myself, and I'm right there, right? And, uh, but even, let me tell you, even when you don't have masks, some of you don't sing very well. I mean, I'm not questioning your ability to sing. What I mean, you don't sing very loudly, enthusiastically. Now, last Saturday night, uh, not last night, I was at a, another function, but I was at the Bankwest, former Bankwest Stadium in Parramatta to watch Sydney FC, the champions, uh, once, uh, play Western Sydney Wanderers. There's more enthusiastic singing at the stadium than there is in churches sometimes. Over people kicking a little round ball around the place. I was there for a Matilda's game a couple of weeks earlier, and the Brazilians, man, the Brazilians sing, right? I mean, that place, they had 2,000 Brazilians, they outsang the 18,000 Australians there. There's this sense of joy, this is our team, we're engaged with this, and I wish we could bring that in to our churches, and we gather in Jesus' name, and we sing with great joy and happiness because of God's goodness to us, love. I had to bring Combat Stadium into Nawi Baptist Church. Not singing about Sydney FC, the boys in blue, or, or the red and black guys of uh, Parramatta, the red and black block they call themselves, but singing about that great Jesus. Secondly, after prayer, now address the issue of prayer, illness, and healing. And this is where it gets a little bit messy and a whole variety of different opinions about what's happening here. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Greek literally says, uh, the prayer offered in faith will save the sick person. Right? Make him well, will save him, is the word sozo. And the Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. I want you to notice right at the beginning, you're talking about, Faith, sick person being saved, uh, sins forgiven. Why all this sort of sin talk in, in this situation? So two ways that have been, uh, or this passage has been interpreted in two ways that I don't think are quite correct. Number one, uh, the first one is the Roman Catholic sacrament of the last rites. You will have heard of that, or extreme unction. So a person is on their deathbed. Uh, the priest comes to visit. Here's their confession. This is their final confession. And he anoints the person with oil and prays in the belief the person will be forgiven of all of their sins and they will then go to heaven when they pass. The second is the charismatic use of this passage as the basis for healing services. At the healing service, someone believed to have the gift of healing lays their hands on the sick person, trusting that the sick person will be healed physically according to the promise of this passage. Two positions have some, what we might call, some superficial problems at least. First of all, the Catholic reading here, well, James says the sick person is going to get well, right? But the last rites assumes you're going to die, right? So it seems to be a little bit inconsistent there. Um, historically, though, just be aware, this sacrament was used as a healing ritual for any sick person 
But during the Middle Ages, it developed into a deathbed service. So when you hear of Catholic going, the last rites, it's developed. They used to pray for everyone in that way, but it changed. The charismatic reading also has some problems. Some of the, there are other passages in Corinthians and some which talking about healers and so on. That's, that's fine. But here, it doesn't seem to be describing a healing service, but rather it sounds like a private meeting. And so I'm well, unwell, I call the elders. And by the way, we've done this multiple times at Nawi, where someone says, can you anoint me with oil and pray? And if you'd like to be anointed with oil and pray, we've set you apart and we, we'll do that in your home, in the church, wherever. Uh, it's not an unusual thing. We haven't done it for a little while, I don't think, but uh, that's something that we offer for people. But it seems to be a private thing rather than a, in a public service. And it seems to be here the elders, which are the elders in your Bible are the pastors and the teachers, right? It's not the person of healing. Now, we know there are gifts of healings as well from Corinthians, but here he says, call the elders to anoint you with oil and pray over you and to pray expectantly. The passage seems to present us with a great promise. The sick person will be made well. Right? They will be made well. They will be raised up and forgiven. And it says the example of Elijah here is very striking because with Elijah, it shows that there's great power in prayer. And in the history of Israel, Elijah prayed and a drought came. And then he prayed and then rain came. So saying, look at Elijah. Remember how he prayed in faith and God answered. So we should pray expectantly if we're going to take this passage seriously. So if someone comes to us and says, will you anoint us with all and pray? We pray expectantly that God will work according to his purpose. But look more closely at the passage. Is any of you sick? You should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. So the believer here is not commanded to pray, but to some of the elders who will pray over him and anoint him with oil. So it's going to be the faith of the prayers, not the faith of the person asking for prayer, the sick person, it seemingly makes a difference. As I said, the elders were the spiritually mature men set apart with spiritual responsibility of the congregations. That's what we see in the New Testament. And uh, so they pray over the person who is sick. Someone says it may refer to this sort of coming over them. It may mean laying on of hands. Sometimes prayers, you lay on hands. Other times you don't have to. The Bible doesn't say there's only one way to pray for the sick. Um, so feel free to do what you like. Jesus sometimes laid hands on people. Sometimes he didn't. He spoke a word and it happened. They anoint him with oil. What's this oil thing about? It gets a bit messy. Uh, um, well, when you anoint someone with oil, it's normally saying, God, I set this person aside, apart. Uh, so when you anoint them with oil, what we're saying is, God, we set this person who has great needs apart for you to do your work in them. So that seems to be the, the role of the anointing with oil set apart for God's special attention. But again, many healings in the New Testament, there's no oil involved, uh, but it's now it's done in the name of the Lord, signifying the divine authority with which the anointing is done. And notice the focus is on prayer. It's the prayer offered in faith that makes a sick person well. Wholehearted, unwavering commitment to God. When we're talking about faith, remember in James, you trust God. You're not double-minded. You don't you know, love the world and love God. No, no, we, you are single-mindedly committed to God and His purposes, and you then pray with that in mind. 
And the result, he says here, sick person is made well, the Lord raises him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. And I think this last line gives us a hint of what James is aiming at in this passage. Stay with me. Let's unravel this passage starting with the relevance of Elijah. By Elijah's prayer, a drought came to Israel as God's punishment for Israel's sin. You need to realize that in the Old Testament. Elijah's prayer, a drought comes, it's God's punishment on Israel for her sin. By his prayer again, rain came as a sign of Israel being restored to relationship with God. God forgives them, restores them to relationship, they are now healed. And I think Elijah's ministry was precisely what verses 19 and 20 speak of, bringing the sinful nation and covering a multitude of sins, thereby saving people. Friends, although we suffer sickness generally and indiscriminately as a result of Adam's sin, there are cases, very clearly in the Bible, when God seems to send specific sickness to a person or a congregation because of their sin. Don't let this scare you, right? Because sometimes people go, oh no, I'm sick because oh, what's my sin? And we'll come to that in a moment. No, I think most suffering comes simply because we live in a fallen, broken world. But there are times the Bible says that we are judged and we are sick, some even die, because of our sin. 1 Corinthians 11, the Apostle Paul says, talking about the Lord's Supper, he said, some have not recognized the body of the Lord. That's why some of you are weak, some of you are sick, and some of you have fallen asleep. That means that's not a boring sermon, you've fallen asleep. That means you're dead, right? Paul says that some of the believers in Corinth, because of their sinfulness, refusing to recognize uh, the Word of God and the body of Christ and the Lord's Supper, died as a judgment. Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5 lied to the Holy Spirit. Gone, gone. Immediate judgment. Now, that's not normally the case. But I want to suggest to you, maybe that's what is happening here. We have seen how sinful the people that James is writing to are like. Abuse the poor, show favoritism, curse one another, even kill one another, I think Dave was talking the other day. Maybe metaphorically, maybe physically. There's sin in the place. So keeping that in mind, you may read James 5, 13 to 20 in a different light. The congregation has been sinning. And we've seen that. They're judging between themselves, they're grumbling and so on. And so it's probably natural for James to ask, is anyone sick? If so, they need to confess their sins and the elders need to pray for it is likely that the sickness is a result of that sin. That's why they call the elders not the doctors, right? We can have healing through prayer and if the judgment of God is upon us for some particular sin, we should pray. You know, um, Someone came to me a few years ago and um, struggling with, with a health issue and uh, anointed, we anointed her and prayed for her. But before that, uh, I asked the question that I often do as a result of this passage. I said, is there a sin in your life that you need to confess to God? You go, well, that's a tough question. Is there something in your life that you're disobeying God? And she said, well, the truth is, I have this really bad, broken relationship with, I think, my sister. And um, I haven't forgiven her, and this has happened, and, this is a, and I can't sleep. <laughs> I can't do this. Oh, listen, it's just dominating my life. 
We're able to pray with her so she could release that to God and to offer forgiveness. And, and we prayed. Next day she said, that's gone. <laughs> My illness is gone. Sometimes it's related to the sin in our lives. And so the godly person who falls sick will ask first, is this a judgment on me? I ask that question of myself all the time. If I'm sick and something's happening, I'm going to ask, is God judging me? Is God correcting me? Is God trying to say something to me in the middle of that? Is it a punishment for sin? James promises that really if, if you have sinned and you've now been punished by God, and if you confess and you repent, then God will heal you. Notice he says, if he has sinned, now we all sinned, we all sinned, right? But if he has sinned, he throws that in, then God will heal you. Your sickness, though, may not be a result of a specific sin. I think that's most, most cases. Most cases, I think in our life, my situation, I got a cold, I was too close to someone with a virus, so I it's not God trying to get me down. It's simply going, I just need to keep washing my hands better, keep wearing my mask, um, and so on. Exercise to build up my muscles in my back so I don't have to see my chiropractor every two weeks. Right? There are things that happen as part of a fallen, broken world. And if that is the case and you call and you pray, God in his sovereignty may heal you, or if it's not in his plan, he may not heal you, and you have to keep seeing your doctor every couple of weeks. Uh, Jensen and Burkett write in that study in James, they say this, this passage should jolt us in our beliefs of our prayer and sin. It is so easy to be blasé about the power and importance of both. Sin is serious and can bring sickness. In our technological arrogance, we assume physical ills are independent of our spiritual state and independently curable. This is not the case. There is some sickness which comes directly from God as a result of sin. Indeed, we should never lose sight of the fact that all sickness comes from God as a result of humankind's rejection of Him. Sickness is a warning about the coming judgments. If you are sick, it is right to think about your sin. There is a sin on your conscience, confess it and pray. You may or may not be healed, for you do not know what was the cause of that particular sickness. However, you will have taken God more seriously. This is what James challenges us to do. We must also remember that when Christians are in rebellion against God, we must take it seriously and expect God's warning and discipline through sickness. Just as the God of Elijah sent through to punish sin, so he may punish us directly now. God loves us and offers us great mercy. We must not take for granted that for granted for sin is forgiving or his forgiveness is a great thing. Now, some scholars, looking at this passage, in contrast to that where I was trying to tie specifically to a sin, argue that line of argument is too limiting. And they say the illness referring to arising from living in a fallen world, not a specific sin, let's not try to, to tie it into their sin. Just say it is general sin and we just need to uh, pray to God. Douglas Moo writes, A true prayer of faith always includes within it, though, a tacit acknowledgement of God's sovereignty in all matters, that it is God's will that must be done. And it is clear that it is not always God's will to heal those who are ill, 2 Corinthians 12, otherwise Christians would never die. 2 Corinthians 12, let me take you another illness that didn't get healed. It's the Apostle Paul, he discusses his thorn in the flesh, which he calls a messenger of Satan. 
And he relates that he prayed to be relieved of this affliction. Three times I asked God to take it away. And God did not answer his prayer. Why not? God says you just pray. In faith it will happen. Not so easy. Slow down a little bit. See, I prayed and God taught me that he's allowed the affliction in order to keep me humble and to trust in God's grace. And sometimes, friends, when God allows illness to come upon us, and as many of you will testify, God allows it to draw you closer to Christ, to give you a greater passion for him and for his glory, to be preparing for eternity, to live with one eye, focus on heaven. So what do you do if you are sick? Well, Paul writes to Timothy, stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. I don't know if I'm allowed to read that verse in a Baptist church, uh, <laughs> promoting the drinking of alcohol, one of the scourges of our society today. Um, but what he's saying, you know, they don't have clean water there, right? He says, have a little wine, that will help the upset of your stomach. He didn't just say, just pray, call the elders to anoint you with oil. He gave them advice, right? In other words, do something which will have some uh, medical, provide medical help to you. So I say to you, if you have a headache... Take Panadol, don't ring me. But if it's consistent, call me. As well as your doctor, I want to say, as well as the doctors, call your, your home group leaders, get them to lay hands on you and pray for you. And we need to be doing both things and trusting that God, sometimes God will relieve something. I was talking to someone the other day. Uh, uh, consistent migraine said, I had this migraine, I, I just, I, I couldn't be saved from it. And all of a sudden God Someone prayed, and then I realized the next day it had gone. Like, and it hasn't come back. Like, it's unusual. So let's trust that God will do things. And uh, if you need to call triple O, ring, call triple O. And uh, they're Christians and doctors. Uh, make it, let me make it clear. Go and see them. Don't hear anything today saying, oh, no, the pastor said we don't need doctors anymore. We just pray in Jesus' name. It's all good. No, go and see your doctors. I'll say it again just in case you quote me out of context here and I get arrested for... Right? Go and see your doctor if you're unwell. On Thursday night, it's about 11.30pm, my, my younger brother woke up. I uh, couldn't breathe properly. And uh, it, we found out the next day it was the uh, mild heart attack. In the morning, he got up at 6.30, he said, I drove to catch up with some friends who have coffee. Some, he's a cyclist, the fittest guy you'll know, right? He's there, he walked in, he said, I, I got into my car, out of my car, I felt completely faint. and slept all night, so he's having some heart issues. And one of his mates said, mate, you look terrible. He said, I feel terrible. He said, what's been happening? He said, oh, I've had all this. He said, mate, I'm taking you straight to Barrel Hospital. Take him straight to Barrel Hospital. He texted me an hour later, he said, mate, I'm at Barrel Hospital. Looks like I might have had a heart attack and they're driving, uh, I'm being transported to Liverpool Hospital. And so he arrives at Liverpool on Friday, they do multiple tests, he has four blockages, he's going to have quadruple bypass later this week. Pray for him. Now, if he didn't go to a doctor or to a hospital, as he says to me, if, he, if I was riding my bike, if this happened the day before when I was riding my bike out alone, collapse, go to glory, right? He's 59 today, his birthday today. I wish him a happy birthday. I said, it's very hard to wish you a happy birthday. <laughs> Sitting in hospital, I said, it was better than the alternative, he said. <laughs> you never know what's going to happen. Go to your doctor if you need to see your doctor. 
and pray. And then, uh, that's the main part of the sermon, right? Well, let me just sum up the, the rest of the letter. But, but this next one's significant. Prayer and confession and community. Notice he, he hasn't stopped with his sin idea. He says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. So, so it's not just in the previous verse he's talking about the sin issue in the church, but even now it said, brothers and sisters, uh, it's not just the elders, but you confess your sins to each other. And for us here, it'll often be with a few people in your small home group and so on, confess your sins to each other, pray for each other. You may be healed. You may be under the judgment of God and you may need uh, cleansing and forgiveness by God. Do it. You may be healed, he says. And then fourthly, let me go verse 16 to 18, pray in the righteous. The prayer for a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man like, just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And again, he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. And friends, a righteous person here is simply someone who, uh, who is wholeheartedly committed to God and sincerely seeking his will. And as he said, be like him, be like him, pray like him. And we talked about his prayers a little bit earlier in the sermon. God wants us to take Elijah's example to pray confidently, fervently, trusting in God's will and God's purpose. And finally, as he comes to the end of the book, so it's clearly with people sinning, people doing the wrong thing, people wanting to kill people, people fighting one another, people showing favoritism. There is sin all through the place. Then he says, my brothers and sisters, if any of you should wander from the, tr if any of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. I think he's saying to the believers, listen, some of your people have gone, they've gone crazy, right? They used to be Christians, but listen, look at how they're living. They're living like non-Christians. Some are denying the faith. Some are living ungodly, immoral lives. Some are violent. They're far from God. Don't leave them there, he says. If you know people like that, he says, don't leave them there. Go after them. Pray for them. Ring them up. Visit them, have lunch together, have them to your home, catch up with them, don't leave them there because whoever turns the sinner from the error of his way will save him from death, cover up a multitude of sins. You're going to save him ultimately from eternal death or her. And friends, during COVID lockdown, you'll read the stories around the world. As people start coming back to church, some people have just, goodbye God, I'm just happy with my coffee on the beach, Sunday morning or Sunday night. Some have left the faith. Others have come to faith too. Don't worry about that. God is bringing people in his kingdom. And so if we know people like that, it may be that they say, oh yeah, I follow Jesus, but I just don't need to gather and worship anymore. I don't need a Bible study. I'm good by myself. When they say that, you know they are far from God. Let me tell you something. Because they're far from God's plan to build a church where people are loving one another and serving one another and using their gifts for God. If you want to be an individual Christian and you think, yeah, well, God is really pleased with my life, think again, right? Because God's not going to be pleased with your life if you don't play your part in the family of God, in the body of Christ. And so somehow we need to get alongside people and open up the Word with them and pray with them, pray the Spirit of God to make them spiritually sensitive.
always breaks my heart. I've seen people here, I'm just picturing one woman probably 20 years ago. She walked out that door and she'd been coming hearing about Jesus. Hadn't really made a decision. Maybe she had. And one day she heard the gospel. She went, I don't believe it. I don't want it. And she left. I can picture her now. I'm just seeing her in that foyer. She's walking out, never to see her again. And sometimes there are those who've been with us for a long time. The enemy takes them away from the truth. So if you know people have wandered from the truth, from Christ's teaching, from Christ's lifestyle, from his church, graciously and gently go after them. Don't let them go to hell. Don't let them go to their death without being at peace with Jesus and pray that God would do his work. Let me conclude with these verses from James 1 which is, I think seems to be the theme of this whole book. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Pray fervently. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another. Treat everyone well and do the word of God. May God help us by the power of his Spirit to obey his word, to play our part together in his work. Let me pray. Lord God, we thank you that you are a God of forgiveness. And Lord, don't we all need forgiveness? Lord, we do confess our sins to you. Often we ignore you, we forget you. We focus on ourselves. Often, Lord God, we ignore our brothers and sisters who are struggling. Sometimes we ignore those who have wandered from the faith. Lord, we ignore those who are questioning their faith. We pray, Lord God, that you would give us the grace, the strength, the desire and the holiness to pursue those who are struggling, to love them, to bring, help to bring forgiveness through Christ. And Lord, if any of us are sick today because of our sin, we ask, Lord God, that you would be merciful upon us, that as we turn from our sin, that you would bring healing and restoration, that we would live in obedience to you, not simply hearing the word, but doing it. We thank you, God, that you are able. You are able to do what we cannot do. So do your work in us, we pray, for the glory of your name. Amen.